do remain standing and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there is a blue ESV Bible just in front of you. I'll be reading Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. Before we hear God's word read, let us go again to him humbly in prayer. Our God, in a time like this that seems to be full of darkness, we pray now that you would be our vision, that we would see your light through your word, the word coming from you who are the light of the world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, hear now the word of God. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, This morning we come to uh, one of those services that we wish we never had. This is my first time leading a service like this, the death of a child in a womb, and I would be happy never to do one of these ever again. Such is the grief that we all feel. In recent months, our church mourned the passing of a dear saint who had been a faithful husband, a father, a Presbyterian minister, and more importantly, a dear child of God. We saw him fighting illness for years, and as he aged, it was not a surprise for us to see him going into glory. In fact, many of us were yearning for that for him, that he would be spared that affliction. And we, were, we ushered him to the gates of heaven with joy, knowing that he would meet his Savior face to face. This morning, however, we don't have the privilege of reflecting on decades of divine love poured into and out of a beloved saint who gave his life in service to Christ and his church. Now, we have the present affliction of mourning, what really never was. For no sooner did life appear in Molly's womb than is that very life taken away. And so we mourn in this memorial. And while we mourn, dear ones, we will do so still ever hopeful because that is our covenantal privilege. That is our covenantal grace. We are hopeful because we mourn the death of one who was in Christ's covenant from conception. I'd like to take just a few moments briefly this morning to see that hope grounded in the heart of Christ for his covenant children. Because Jesus loves our children, he brings them to himself. For a blessing. 
Now, you might be familiar with this account in the Gospel of Mark. This account which is at once frustrating and enheartening. It is enheartening because of what Jesus does. We see him doing in this text. It is frustrating. It is maddening because of what the disciples do. In this context, we see parents living in Judea and beyond have come to present their children to Jesus that he might give them a blessing. These parents knew their Old Testament better than these disciples apparently did at this point because they knew the place that their children had in the covenant. God's people, the treasured possession of God, are here bringing their little treasured possessions to God. They're bringing their little ones to Jesus, that Jesus might touch them, that Jesus might bless them. They have seen this blessing. They've seen the powerful touches of the Savior already, as he has touched For instance, the leper who had begged for healing. Or as Jesus had touched the blind man to give the blind man sight. And surely this desire of theirs was a reasonable desire. And it resonates with our interest as well, doesn't it? Parents lie awake at night, fretting, just wondering, considering what is best for their children. How they can help their children to grow in the grace and knowledge of their Lord Jesus Christ and how to give the children the best. And what is better for your child than for that child to come to Jesus? And this is what Chris and Molly have desired for Iris and Carly. And with no less fervency and simplicity of heart, Do they desire the touches of Christ for this dear child, Jordan? What was so frustrating in this gospel account here was the disciples' refusal to have the children come by aid of their parents and so be blessed. So the disciples rebuked the parents for even thinking of coming to Jesus, as if Jesus had the time for these little ones, as if Jesus cared about families, as if it was Christ's ministry focus to touch and to bless these little children, these seemingly insignificant ones. But it was the disciples who faced the righteous indignation of the Lord that day. It was not these parents. Jesus, in essence, says to the disciples, don't you dare prevent them from coming to me, for theirs is the kingdom. And with this rebuke, We rejoice. We don't rejoice because we see the disciples fumbling over themselves. We don't rejoice because Jesus has finally given it to them, teaching them a a strong lesson. No, we rejoice because through Christ's anger, through his righteous anger, we see his treasures. We see his heart. We see what he values. We see him treasuring these little treasured possessions of God. Now, Jesus treasures these little ones, not because he thinks that they are sinless. He knows that they are not sinless. He treasures them not because the stain of sin doesn't cover the the whole swaddling cloth in which they lay. He treasures these little ones because they have been placed into his kingdom by the grace 
of his Father in heaven. We are indignant as we read the the gospel story, aren't we? When we read that Mary and Joseph were denied entry, when they were desperately seeking shelter for their little treasure possession, Jesus, shall we then deny the same Jesus' righteous indignation when his children are hindered from coming to him for a touching and for a blessing? We must never listen to those voices that would kick our children out of the kingdom, out of the covenant. No, let us instead listen to the voice of our covenant God, whose covenant promises are more sure than the words of all those naysayers, those friends and family members that would not appreciate the covenant as God does. Consider the voice of your Father in heaven In the days of Adam, when Adam sinned, Adam sank himself and all his family into that estate of sin and misery. And when God spoke a word of grace, of saving grace to Adam's soul, it wasn't to Adam's soul alone, but it would include the lives of his posterity, the many offspring of his wife, Eve, who is called the mother of the living. Or consider God's covenant in the days of Noah. God reestablishes his covenant promises with this new Adam figure with Noah. Although Noah alone is found righteous before, before God, it isn't Noah alone who enters the ark of safety, leaving his family behind. But God says in Genesis 7, verse 1, Go into the ark, you and all your household. Or when God narrows his covenantal focus to the father of faith, to Abraham, God clearly has under his gracious gaze Abraham and Abraham's offspring, his descendants. In Genesis 17, verse 7, God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. Or consider the Lord's promise in the days of Moses. God remembers his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when he now establishes a new covenant, the Mosaic covenant with Moses. And this covenantal remembering included the little ones, as Deuteronomy 29, 11 says. Even these little ones are included. Or consider the days of David. God establishes his covenant with David and ensures David a forever throne. And we read in 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, that this includes David's own offspring, his children. Your house and kingdom shall be made sure. But what about us? We are living in the new covenant. Does God say, forget about all those Old Testament promises and those covenants that I made with Abraham, with with Moses, with Noah, and all the rest? No, he continues and he builds on those promises. In the covenant in Isaiah 59, 21, the Lord says, And as for me, this is my covenant with them. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. I will be God to you and you will praise me. But I'm not done, he says. I will be God to your children, and they will praise me. 
But I am still not done. I will be God to you and to your children and to your children's children, your grandchildren. They will praise me from this time forth and forevermore. Chris and Molly, your Christ has brought your little one into his kingdom. Jordan is right at home. This kingdom connection is the covenant, and with this connection, in this covenant, is compassion. Returning to Mark 10, we see that after rebuking the disciples, Jesus receives the covenant children. He takes them up in his arms, and he blesses them. Jesus graciously picked up every last one of these kingdom children. We don't know how how many there were, enough to bother the disciples. Maybe it was just a family or two. The disciples would have let them slide by. Go ahead, fine, talk with them briefly, and then get out of here. You can imagine a crowd of parents just lining up to, to bring their children. We don't know how many there were, though. But what we do know is that it was not our Lord's practice to turn anyone away. Indeed, he had compassion on the people. And when he had compassion on the people, what did he do? He taught them. He fed them. He healed them. He spent time with them. He loved them. And everyone he embraced was a special, unique image bearer. and was not just a name. And as such, everyone received a real smile from the always joyful Jesus. I'm confident to say that Jesus snuggled with each little boy, with each little girl. And let us not be overly pious to think that Jesus is beyond a tickle or two. Every little one had the undivided attention of the eternal only begotten Son of the Father. As each infant looked up at his Creator, his Redeemer, the Lord made his face to shine upon him and to be gracious to him. The Lord Jesus Christ lifted up his countenance and gave her peace, a peace that surpasses all pacifiers. Chris and Molly, Iris, Carly, Friends, family, you will not know the joy of embracing this child alive on earth. And this is truly lamentable. It is truly grievous. We mourn with you that you will not know the joy and stress even of bringing this little one home with you. We mourn with you that you will not know the toil of training this little Jordan, to sleep. We mourn that you won't be able to rock this child to sleep just gazing at this little bundle of joy. You won't be able to embrace the child to comfort Jordan after Jordan has a boo-boo. You won't be able to hug Jordan with all the pride that a parent feels that Jordan is yours, that the child is yours, or for a job well done. You won't be able to, to hug Jordan As Jordan goes off to college or gets married, gets that first job, 
and we'll be able to hug this little one's little ones as grandparents. So we'll love to hug their grandchildren. In God's all-wise and perfect providence, you won't embrace your child as Jordan goes about life here on earth. And this is truly grievous. It is lamentable. It is hard to bear. It is a burden. And your church is with you, helping you to carry this burden. So many people told me that they had similar, uh, similar experiences as well. And I knew some have been in the same position as the cords have been. I didn't know how many, but it seems that heaven is filled with Cross Creek children. And that's hard. But I want you to know, dear children of God, this does not mean that Jordan is not being embraced. Your child lies safely in the arms of your Heavenly Father. Your child has been picked up from your womb and taken into the bosom of Christ for all eternity, and he will never let the child go. Your child's spirit is under the heavenly wings of the Holy Spirit who hovers over creation and new creation. And how do we know this? Because to such as this little one belongs the kingdom. And not only does the son touch these little ones, but he also blesses them. There's no temporary or casual bless you as we tend to do when others sneeze. Oh, this divine blessing is connected to the new covenant blessings from God. In Isaiah 44, for instance, the Lord says, I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendant. As true Israel and as the one with the spirit resting upon him, Jesus acts in that spirit of blessing. It's hard to see blessing. We wonder, how did the Lord bless this little baby cord child? After all, we are here because the child has died. Well, I imagine there are many blessings that we can count. But one that comes to my mind is that the Lord has blessed his child by sparing Jordan all of the thorns and thistles of life. Jordan will not know the world as fallen, but as restored. And that surely is a blessing for all of us who, who know how spiky those thorns and thistles are, how ensnared we can be from the temptations of the world. Jordan will not know Satan as accuser, but as defeated. And what a blessing that is as well. This child was blessed with what Job had longed for after considering all the suffering he had undergone. In Job 3, verse 16, why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? This dear one never did see the light of earth, but Jordan saw a better light, the light of Christ shining brightly upon Jordan in heaven. Our Father in heaven has given this child a spot already at the finish line. There was a brief shadow of death, but only as a gateway to the brilliance of life. 
that meets Jordan. To be blessed by God is God giving his children truly what God knows is best. As John Calvin had to wrestle with the same thing, he and his wife, Edelette, struggled to put together the pieces. He knew what it was like to, to lose children just, j- just days after her birth. They lost son, Jacques, soon after Jacques had greeted them. There was even an account of perhaps even a miscarriage with a daughter uh, or one who had just been born. And he was anxious because I think it was a premature, it was going to be a premature birth. And he, read, he had to wrestle with this untimely tragedy. And when he did, he found comfort from God as God, the Father in heaven. He writes to Beret, The Lord has certainly inflicted a severe and bitter wound in the death of our infant son. But he is himself a father and knows best what is good for his children. In your child's case, as in the case of all who are embraced and blessed by God's gracious covenant, your Father in heaven has made blessing actual, effective, because of Christ. The Father sent His only begotten Son into the world to save the world, to be the fulfillment of all of those covenant promises for all of His covenant people. And He has secured those promises with His life, His death, his resurrection. And so at this time, yes, we do mourn, but we do so with hope. Indeed, we, we sow tears of sorrow in faith-filled expectation that we will reap with shouts of joy. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning for the morning star, Jesus Christ has risen in Jordan's and your hearts. I'd like to amend an earlier statement I made. I said, you will not know the joy of embracing this child as alive on earth. Should have added one word there. Yet. You will not yet embrace Jordan but you will most definitely embrace your child one day on earth. And this will be the renewed earth, wherein righteousness dwells. And we know this because of the beautiful hope we have in Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we read, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Jordan will rise among that class. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. One day, you will embrace your child, either in heaven, if you pass into glory before Christ returns, or when you both have your glorified, resurrected bodies you will embrace Jordan. And you will discover that all this time, your child has been safely in the arms of your Father in heaven. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And because of him, 
We have this hope even as we mourn. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We worship you for the grace-filled word that you have revealed to us, your people. We thank you that because of your faithfulness, you bring us to yourself through your covenant of grace, and that in that covenant, you embrace us and you bless us. We mourn with hope in him who is the resurrection and the life, and we pray now that you would transform us, even through this present affliction, more and more into the image of the risen Lord. Grant us strength of spirit and unrelenting trust in you, our God, you who raised the dead. Help us to comfort one another with these encouraging words, with these enduring words of hope. Mourning, yes, unmistakable grief, without a doubt. Countless tears, to be sure, but mourning that is turned to joy at beholding the resurrected Savior as he takes us from one degree of glory to another. Grief that meets the unmitigated presence of God along with the saints in triumph. And tears that are collected in the bottle of the man of sorrows who wipes them away with its gentle, reassuring, and resurrected hands. We pray these things in this God-man's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.